So, what did you talk about last week? We talked about love. We did? What about love? Yes, it was the third week in our love series, and we talked specifically about uh, the... Something. I remember if I could read it, but I can't read it. Open your Bible then. Yeah, but I'm looking at where we are. Okay. Um, so we, and we talked about, we were comparing um, <coughs> a symbol to a different, like other instruments, such as. Yeah, like woodwind, like how as soon as you stop blowing, it stops. Okay, so you're talking about like musical symbols. Yeah, like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the ones that resonate like in the air, like I, I know what a symbol is. And we mentioned how it's like people being prideful out like, oh I have this gift, this gift is mine. I remember that. <gasps> that was something in the book. So sound wave like sound waves? <laughs> yeah, like sound like the echo. But we don't want to be like a symbol. Yeah. The tinkling. Yes. Because when you put minimal effort into getting the sound and you rely on that, whereas with other instruments, you um, have to continually put effort in. And with love, you have to choose to love. And it takes work and you have to continually put effort in and not rely on the chain reaction of one effort, time you put effort Okay. Good. Do we want to try for two weeks ago? Uh, give me a second. <laughs> two weeks ago. We were still you were here two love. weeks ago. What did we talk about? Besides love. Besides love? Well, I mean, we we talked talked about, like, don't just say love because everyone oh, knows that. The meaning, like the diff, is it that? The different meanings, like the Greek meanings. That was three weeks ago, but you can tell me about that if you want. Um. Well, there were like a whole bunch of different ones, and they all meant different things, like brotherly love, and like love, love, and like, like well, I love that donut kind of love. Okay, yes. Okay. Can we talk about the uh, verse, the, yeah, the verses that they say are like all the 
Ready? You sure? Yes. Yeah, that one. Yeah, we were in John last week. No. I remember something about John. I was just at a wedding show. We were, we did read verses from John. I just don't remember what, but I remember we talked about the red words and I was Jesus saying that. I don't remember what we were talking about specifically a long time ago. What about? I'm looking at where we are. What about smelling salts? <gasps> oh, we mentioned like I was this. I remember when we were talking about like the athletes. Okay. Yeah, it would give them that boost of energy at the end, and then they could like lift the really heavy stuff. Okay. It gave them adrenaline. Yes. So what aspect of the smelling salts? The adrenaline part? No. It was how salt actually has no smell. Nope. I'm trying to remember. Yes, Audrey. It was the idea that smelling salts give that like burst of energy and like it like invigorates you and gives you that last like push of like adrenaline to help you complete the task which you love you want to. Um, because that's what I'm talking about. Um, if you want to like be invigorated. Okay, we talked about potency, right? So, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's what I'm trying to okay. say. Like potency, like in, like, yes. And when was God's love most potent? When he died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross. Okay, yes. But they're all one Yep. And what was different from Jesus dying for us versus somebody else? Because Jesus rose from the grave. Because yes. Jesus did it completely selflessly. Yes. Okay. Despite being completely innocent. Okay, that was an aspect, right? He was accused falsely, so there is no earthly honor in his death, right? Mm-mm. And what were people doing while he was on the cross. They were looking down on him, shaking their heads. Even the thieves looked down on him. Not one of them. Well, they both did at first. Oh, it yeah. And it's all for a sign of Jesus Christ, Son of God. Did we talk right. about when he was tempted by the devil? That's Sunday. That's Sunday? Yep, that was yeah. Sunday. I am positive. Yeah, Wait, we talked about Uh, not this past the Sunday before, I believe. I think, yeah. I don't know. Okay, so we're gonna move on, and not that sorry, our last series won't apply in any ways because love applies to anything Christian-wise. Yeah, I remember. Um, so, how many people read the book? The whole book? Well, not well, like, the whole I read book. the first two chapters, but I don't remember. I read the first three today before I came. Okay, I read the first three and the prologue. I've been reading all. I started to read the prologue, and then I realized it wasn't a part of the chapters, and I was like, I'm not reading. I used to skip prologues, but I have learned to read the prologues. They can be. I thought the whole thing was. I thought that was the first chapter. The prologue. 
Yeah. It's okay. It's helpful. I never understood and then the I ended up, of the prologue. And then I thought it's just I was the first done. chapter. They just don't call it that. When you reach chapter two, once I've reached. A lot of times the prologue is not integral to the story. You don't miss out if you don't read it. The prologue you know? can be. It's almost like. Um, uh, a recap on like. It, so think about this like. You know how some movies, at the very end, if you wait through all the credits, there's a last little scene? Yeah. yeah. That's like an epilogue to the movie. It's like at the end, you didn't have to watch it, it didn't matter, but if you're really into it, it's extra. Well, there's also a prologue that's epilogue, prologue, one's before, one's after. Like Marvel movies? Yes, Marvel movies now all have them, I've so it's not special anymore. It but is special. It used to be special because it. There was a time out. where nobody knew that it was there, and only oh. the people who sat in the theater until the very end saw it, and there'd only be like five people in the theater. It's still special though because it gives you a clue to the next movie. Yes, but you know it's gonna be there. Is what I mean. It's not a surprise anymore. Yeah, like, people when I was like little, it, though, I didn't know about I, them. I was like five years old. And I, my dad left anyways, the session stand, and I was sitting there and having feet too, and I saw him a little clip at the very end. Right. That so, nothing. not that that was important. So, everybody look at my eyes. Go home. When you go home, if you didn't read it, read the book. Read your chapters, okay? You don't mistake a we would we we would not pick a book if we did not think that it was an important book that has important things and also something that we think you will enjoy. We don't pick things that are boring, things that are uninteresting. This it's and all of you will have zero trouble reading it. You are a group of readers. We could have given you something harder, but this is something easy. You should be able to, you could sit down and read the whole book in an afternoon if you wanted to. Some of you faster. So it's not a lot of extra work. Just put the effort in and read it and it will bring you reward. It's definitely not like the books they have to read a book club. Most things are like this big and you finish them in a week. Right. And by the way, if you read it and you want more, there's a sequel. That has more stuff in it. What about after it gets rescued? Yes, the, the stuff in the prologue. Oh. Yes, it has all the details and more in about the prologue. And then, if you want even more, there's a guy who, written from his perspective, who went and visited, who was skeptical of him, and then wrote. I have that book too if anybody huh. wants to borrow it. But you have to be careful with it because it's falling apart. Like my butt. <laughs> no, it's worse. It's like really? pages are falling out. <laughs> okay, so our, our series is about the book Brooch Co. Okay, you know what my aunt asked me when I brought the book home? She kept asking if the kid was Russian. And I refused to answer her. Um, he's not. Exactly. And I told her that so many times. And I did tell her, and she kept asking, is he Russian? Oh. I think she's just losing her memory. So, um, anybody 
Who wants to tell me what a missionary is? Gideon. Someone who goes somewhere that doesn't know about God yet and talks and teaches about it. Okay. Phoebe. Someone who goes to a place that doesn't know about God yet. Well, they know about God, but they want to know more. Okay, both but, can be and they true. like they like teach them and they help them and usually a lot of times they'll get like a family and they'll live with them, right? Like take no. the Oh, they'll live in somebody's house, you mean? Mm -hmm. While they're there. Um right? that can happen. Um just because you don't know anybody else sometimes and sometimes they don't have a lot of money. That can happen. Um what else do you know about missionaries? Do you know any famous missionaries? Yeah. Yes. Elizabeth Elliot. Okay, yep. That's a good one. Wasn't Abby a missionary? No. Not my Abby. <laughs> Abby. Well, Abby who? Um, Abby Shaw. Abby Shaw. Oh, she, she went on a mission, mission trip. trip. Oh, so she wasn't a missionary. Yeah. Right. I mean, it wasn't. It's not her profession throughout her whole life, right? Oh, okay. I guess is what you might say. Any, any other missionaries besides Elizabeth Elliot? Okay, that's all right. So, yes. Okay, good. Paul was a missionary, right? Um, <clears throat> so, what this will help you. I know her. Right. I to the monitor, right? Yes. <laughs> Rachel. I mean, she's not like famous, but like. She's not Rachel. Rachel is um, missionary. What is the purpose of the Bible? This will help you. To teach you about God, and so God can tell you what to do. It's like a life guide. Um, sometimes people use it just as a life guide, but that's not its real purpose. You were more on track. You said God, but def somebody define that further. God or guide, did you say? God. <laughs> Is it about God? <gasps> the coming, the coming of God, like per, somebody's coming, is in the, in the Old Testament. Somebody yes. came. Yes. Somebody died. Yes. And somebody's coming again. Okay, and who is that? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so the Bible. I should not leave the caps off these. They dry out very quickly. Yeah, I put well, a few of the dry out ones, like on the other side of the markers. So, like on okay. the other side. Okay, so the whole purpose of the Bible is to tell you about Jesus. That's its focal point. Everything in it is about Jesus. You can tie it back to that. I remember um, kids saying Jesus Okay. So, if you take, what's the root word of missionary? Mission. Mission, that's a good, easy one, right? Their mission is to learn the right now. So what is 
a missionary's mission. To go and teach. Teach. Oh, so that would be a generic mission. What about a generic missionary? Because there are Islamic missionaries. Did you know that? I don't. Like Muslim missionaries. Hmm. Um, there are Mormon missionaries. There are Jehovah's Witnesses oh, are missionaries. You probably had some come to your yeah, house at some point. People that come. Wait, what? No. <laughs> I've never had anybody come up to my house. I think they think it's a they game. Come to our house like they'll before. stop for like five seconds, look so, at the door. So, what is a Christian missionary's mission? To teach Christianity. Okay. Yes. To tell people maybe about Jesus, right? So. Where does that come from? Do you know? Okay, where in the Bible? Everywhere. You, or you could just tell me what, or do you, maybe you know what it's called. This is kind of an older term that people don't, it's not as popular as it once used to be. Um, Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. That's <clears throat> at the very end of the gospel. Um, so, if um, you're a Christian, you believe that once at the beginning of this earth, that everything was perfect, that there was no sin, and then we sinned, and we... Yes. That's what a missionary so, does. And when we sinned, it create, put a wall between us and God. So this is you. This over here is God. And when they, when Adam and Eve sinned, for everybody else too, they built a wall between us and God. <clears throat> Can't go under it. Can't go over it. Separates you from him. It's also been described and this is getting closer to the feeling that it is that everybody has a God-shaped void inside of them or a God-shaped hole. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. Yeah, Audrey has. So, and that's, that's an okay way to say it, um, but it kind of leaves out the humanity in it and the personal side of it because it makes you seems like you're just a puzzle piece or a glass to be filled and that there aren't emotions um, in that so whether people realize it or not everybody is hungry for God they need God in their lives and many people are so hungry that they're even wasting away spiritually that they are just like skin and bones because they are so far from anything 
of God at all. They've never even heard of him or experience the influence of Christians around or in their community. Think of, has everybody learned about the Holocaust in Germany? Did you guys all see pictures of victims of the Holocaust? Like when they were came and opened up the camps and found the Jews in there? And they, are, they look like skeletons that then you just like, and their skin is like plastic wrap around their bones. That's how hungry and starved that they were. And there's people like that, that spiritually in their lives, they are that empty of God that they are just so hungry that they are miserable and can't do anything for themselves. Now, keeping that picture, this is what that Jesus asks us to go help those people. Help those people that can't do anything for themselves. Help and feed them. So, Matthew 28, we're going to read verse 16 through 20. This is right before Jesus has risen from the dead. He spent, um, I think he spent 40 days on earth afterwards with all of his disciples. And going in and out, he's not with them nonstop. He's going and visiting different people and doing things. And then he's going to leave until one day he's still, we're waiting for him to come again. And this is what his last instructions that he gives to his disciples. Let's read verse 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, <coughs> All power is given unto me in heaven and in them. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the flame of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Okay, does anyone know what this set of verses, 19 and 20, is traditionally called? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. What does it mean to be commissioned? Be, okay, paid to, they're compensated for doing Okay. Um, did you read that from your Bible? No, oh. that was from my brain. From your brain? That's good. Alright, so yes, there is an aspect where you would commission an artist to do a piece of art for you. So you're going, you're saying, I will pay you for this, but you're also giving them a job to do. Um, I was commissioned once for a while. Every officer in the army is commissioned. They're not, um, they're, they're not enlisted like a regular soldier is. They're commissioned and they get a direct set of orders given them from the President of the United States. So every officer in the military is actually given a job by the President directly. I mean, he doesn't come and get it. You just get the piece of paper that he probably signed or they stamped a whole like a bunch of them all at once but 
to be commissioned is to be given a job to do. So this is a great commission from Jesus to everybody who follows him, that considers themselves a Christian, that you are going to go and teach all nations. So that's anybody on earth. You're going to teach them about Jesus using the Bible, and that if they accept that, then you are going to baptize them. Or you're going to um, go through that motion of allowing somebody to profess that they believe in Jesus and that they're changing their life. So that is where Jesus is asking us to go out and find these people who are spiritually dead, who are spiritually hungry, and to help them. Now, I say all this because I'm setting up what this book is about. Bruch Co., which you'll find out eventually why it's named that, but it is about a guy named Bruce Olson. Wait, I thought his... I remember Mr. Olson saying that the Olson, like his last name also was misspelled. It was not the same as his. Bruch Co. What? C-H. Well, you'll have to find out. Nothing. I thought that. So, huh? If Bruchko was his last name. It no. is not. Olsen is his last name. Bruchko is his, like, middle name? Nope. You're just gonna have to but read But Bruce is his mind. American name, and I thought. Just, just wait till you get there, okay? So, his name is Bruce Olsen, okay? Bruchko. It's pretty close. He is. Pretty sure. Yes. He is Swedish. He is not Norwegian. But it's spelled different. He's from yes, it's spelled O L S O N. And but he is never he wasn't born in Sweden. He's American, but his parents or his grandparents came here from Sweden and they grew and he grew up in the sixties in Minnesota. And if you don't know it, there are a lot of it is very cold, but there are a lot of Norwegians, Swedes, he and very cold. maybe Finnish that live in Minnesota. Do you know what the football team there is? Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings, yeah, because there are a lot of people from that part of the world that moved there, and they picked the Vikings for their team. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he grew up um, goat. Going to church, right? You probably read about that, at least if you read the very first chapter. Yes, he grew up as a Lutheran. Sorry, Lutheran. He was um, But honestly, and this isn't to say about all Lutheran churches, but his church there was very boring. And it was honestly, as you read, and if you were to look at it, analytically or just critically you would say it really is a dead church at least all the people that he mentions and you talk about it's not one that is alive with God in it and he um, really he grows up pretty normal there are many many churches just as many as there are good ones, there are as many not so good ones out there. It's pretty normal for people 
from the 60s up until now to have grown up in a church where people just go out of duty. They go because that's what you do, and it doesn't really mean much beyond that to them. So that's the kind of um, spiritual life that he grew up in. He grew up so pretty normal on that spot part, pretty normal childhood. He was just from a blue-collar family, meaning that his can't remember what it said his dad did for a job, but just a, he may have worked at a factory or something like that, just a regular job, I think. It is. And he, in school, he's a bit nerdy. He has thick glasses, and he's not very sporty. But he is, he ends up being, he's pretty tall, but he ends up being six foot three when he, so he's pretty tall, really taller. I think he's, yeah, I think Levi's like six one or something like that, six two. And he's taller than Levi? Yeah, he's pretty, six three is like. Would he hit his head on that ceiling? No. One of my teachers is 6'7". 6'7", wow, that's right. 6'3 would be like a small person on a basketball team. Phoebe, do you remember how tall Mr. Rocker so, is? And he has very blonde hair. Because his son is like tall. When he is in, still going to uh, high school, he actually begins teaching himself Greek. And reading the Bible in Greek because... He just wanted to. He's very good at languages. He thinks, and he thinks that that's what he might like to do one day to become a linguist and learn just all different languages, do translating, teach languages, that kind of thing. Um, along with all that, he has a very tough time within his family. If, as you read it, you'll see that. It's not a very warm and fuzzy family. Um, they don't like each other that much. Yeah, they just don't spend a lot of time together other than they eat meals together. Um, his, and his dad really doesn't think much of church at all. And will say stuff like, why are you reading that? Of course, there's nothing interesting in there. It's written 2,000 years ago. There, it doesn't apply today. He doesn't um, like when he says stuff like that. Yes. Well, because he's reading the Bible in Greek. It means something to him. He doesn't know what exactly yet. Um, but and even his mom kind of brushes him off when he asks questions about the Bible and about God. So we're going to just read a little excerpt out of this. Uh Page 12 is where we're going to start. Um, right in the middle where it says, my father. And if you don't have it with you, you can just listen. My father noticed that I wasn't saying anything. Why don't you contribute something to the rest of the family, he asked. He spoke with great precision. I was just thinking about something else, sir, I said. And what was that? I looked helplessly at my mother. I didn't want to have to talk. Bruce, my father said, don't look at your mother. I'm the one speaking to you. So I was forced to try to explain. I told him that I'd been reading the New Testament and I didn't understand it very well. 
Of course you don't, he said. It's written 2,000 years ago. It's not expected to make sense today. A, mouth of, a mouthful of food stuck in my throat. I was tired of hearing my father dismiss things with a sentence. What did he know about it? I looked down at my plate. It was easier if we didn't talk at all. As soon as I could be dismissed, I went back to my room. Everything was wrong. I picked up my Bible, but the, war, worm, the words swam around the page. My face felt hot. I took off my glasses and lay them on the bed. Stupid things, I said, thinking about looking at the thick lenses I had worn as long as I could remember. I hated them. Those glasses had gotten in my way in sports and had gotten me called four eyes and bug eyes for as long as I had them. I put my head down. What was the point of getting mad at the glasses? Surely somewhere there was someone who could help me. The Apostle John had met Jesus, and since then everything had uh, every, since then had never been the same. All the Gospels told about people being changed by Jesus. I longed for a change too, but my God didn't care enough about me to do anything, I thought. Who is my God, anyway? Where is he? I said to myself. Maybe if I keep reading, I'll find the answer, I thought. But I didn't really expect to find something helpful. After all, the Bible was written before there were Lutherans. Then I came across a verse that shocked me and sent electricity dringling through my body. I sat up and read it again. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that was which was lost. I knew God's justice, that he would judge me on the basis of my impurities. But here was a verse saying that Jesus had come to save the lost. I knew instantly whom he was talking about, me. But how was Jesus going to save me, and from what? Was he going to do some miracle? A verse I had read in Romans began to make sense. If thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him, Christ, from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And saved was the opposite from lost. That's all, I thought? Just believe? Shouldn't I have to do something great thing? Shouldn't I have to live a perfect life? That was the idea I had gotten from my church. I thought of all the things about myself that I didn't like. My temper, the bad thoughts and some, that sometimes filled my mind. Could Jesus be changing these things? Maybe he had been able to change water into wine 2,000 years ago, but what did that prove about Bruce Olson? I thought about all those people in the Gospels who were changed by Jesus, but what did they have to do with me? Hours passed. There didn't seem to be any solution to my questions. I was tired. The clock on my dresser said it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Then I felt very suddenly and very strongly that those questions weren't for me to answer. I felt drawn to try to speak to Christ. Of course, I had prayed before, only formally in church, reading from the hymnal. This was different. I lay on my bed, face down, and spoke to Jesus. It was a simple talk, but it was the first I had ever really had with him. Oh, Jesus, I said, I've, changed, I've read about how everyone around you was changed. Now I want to be changed. I want peace and fulfillment like Paul and John and James and the other disciples. I want to be delivered from all my fears. And at that moment, I felt a presence in the room, like a stillness. It wasn't the same it was at the same time small and quiet, huge and rearing, covering everything. Lord, I'm frightened by you, I continued. I don't know, I know I don't even like myself. Everything is messed up around me, and it's messed up in me too. 
Please, God, I want to change. I can't do it myself. I don't understand how you could do, can do anything within me. But Jesus, if you would change, could change all those people in the Bible, I guess you can change me. Please, Jesus, let me know you. Let, make me new. And then I knew that I was being saved. I felt miserable and broken and sick of myself. But I also realized a peace coming into me. It wasn't something dead and passive, that, that peace. It was just a silence ending the war inside me. It was alive, and it was making me alive. I could feel that I wasn't, was going to be able to like myself. And I knew that I didn't ever want that peace and stillness to go away. Okay. So, in a moment, in a quiet moment there alone, Jesus approaches and knocks on Bruce's heart. And then Bruce is the one who answers that. Pretty normal day, I think, for him to just feel worthless there around his family, feel beaten down from just life, even at that young age as I'm sure some of you have felt like that before. And in that moment, he searches for help from somebody that he hasn't been able to help, find help from before. He reaches out to God, and he finds in the Bible truth. Things start to come alive to him as he's reading it. And there he actually finally meets and has a spiritual encounter with God. And that's what, it looks different for everybody, but you can see there for them, that is a moment that he can point to and say, that's where Jesus started changing me, where he came to live inside of me. Um, so, he now has Jesus in him. He has a relationship that has begun. And unfortunately, though, this is only the beginning of difficulties that are going to come along in his life. Um, it, sometimes it seems as though the message of salvation is that you get saved and everything is going to be smooth sailing after that. Everything's going to fall into place. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Kick back and enjoy the easy life. But that's not the case. In fact, Jesus tells us something totally different. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 15, verse 18. This is what Jesus told his disciples the night that he was going to be crucified. He was giving them advice and encouragement about the future. And although this doesn't sound very encouraging, um, in a way it is because he's being honest with them and telling them what things are to come and how they can get through that. So in chapter 15, verse 18, this is what Jesus says. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his his own, but because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So even Jesus said that as once you belong to me, 
people are going to hate you for that. They're going to push against that and things will be difficult. But he tells us elsewhere that to be to have courage because he has overcome the world. He has already conquered it and all um, your strength can be found in him. And even his pastor in the next chapter at the Lutheran church, when he tells him about his experience with Jesus, his pastor is kind of like, that didn't happen. That's not what happens. And Bruce is like, no, no, it happened. And he's telling all of his friends about it who kind of think he's a little weird. And the pastor even pulls him aside is like, you need to put aside like this holy roller stuff. That's not right. And this is from a pastor that's telling him this. And so that really confuses Bruce. And the thing is, is that Jesus never promised that he would remove everything difficult in your life. Never something they said. But he said that he will be with you to help you through that stuff. And we're going to see throughout this book that Bruce comes up against a lot of difficult stuff. A lot of really, truly life and death moments. He almost dies many times in this book. But Jesus is, has a plan for him and brings him through those things. Um, jump ahead to chapter... Er, uh, I think it's chapter 3, but check page 18. Jump to there. Um, and this is one of the things, one of the blessings um, and a comfort that Jesus sends to Bruce first. Um, let's see. At the bottom of page 18 is where we'll start. I had not told Kent Lang, that's his best friend, about my experience. In fact, I hadn't seen him very often since he had changed high schools. About two weeks after my encounter with Jesus, however, he came over on a Sunday afternoon. He'd run to the house and was breathing almost hard to talk, almost too hard to talk. Bruce, the most incredible thing has happened to me, he finally gasped out. At church last night, I asked Jesus to come into my heart like they tell you to all the time. And Bruce, he did it. I lost track of all the, uh, that was going on in the service. Bruce, he was there in the church and in my heart, and I knew it. I shut my eyes as a wave of joy, relief and joy washed through me. Oh, Ken, that's great, I said. I told him about my own experience. We stood talking both at once. Then Kent jumped on me, and we rolled around the room, wrestling, pushing each other as we compared experiences. I can't, I just can't believe it. Both of us. All right. So you see that Bruce had his one really good friend and moved away. Um, I don't know how far, but obviously not super far, but was going to a different high school. So he was feeling even more alone. And then amazingly enough, within weeks, his best friend also comes to find Jesus. And... Over the next few um, years, Bruce will start to go to Kent's church, which is totally different. It's even... Like our church. I'd say it's even more different than our church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's... And it's good. It's 
different style, but it's good. They're preaching the gospel there. And Bruce learns a whole lot while he's at that church and is encouraged. But as you'll read on, that that doesn't make things easier. If anything, that makes things harder in his life. Such to the point that one night when he's coming home from church, because his parents don't like him going to this other church that's not Lutheran, they just pretend like they're not home. And it's at night in the winter, and he's knocking on the door, calling for his dad to let him in, and there's no answer. He can see the light on upstairs. He knows that they're home. Nobody opens the door for him. He ends up having to go a couple miles to Kent's, or um, yeah, Kent's house to stay the night there because he won't be let in. And he knows that his mom can't open the door because his dad won't let her. So you see that there's still a lot of difficulties for Bruce. And it's really tough for him where he has these struggles at home, but Jesus sends these little things to help him along the way, sends him friendships and comforts him with those things and puts on his heart that Jesus has a plan for him, that he has a job for him to do. And that's what the next chapter, chapter four, will begin to, that'll unfold to Bruce as he grows up, as he goes to college, and he'll find out what he is to do. Um, I'm not going to go there for time's sake, but the last verse was in 1 Peter, verse 6 and 7. And this is Peter, um, the disciple of Jesus. And if you remember, Peter went through some tough things, right? He denied Christ. He was um, persecuted. He ended up dying, crucified upside down for Jesus. And Peter writes in his only couple short letters that he has, but in one of them he writes that to the um, Christians that he's writing to, he says, if you are going through trials, if you are going through hard things in your life, you should be happy. You should be jumping for joy, which is a weird thing to say, right? Nobody else, maybe even as Christians, we have a hard time saying that, but certainly the world out there says, ah, that's stupid. But Peter says, no, 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 that is a good thing. That is a way for you to grow in Christ. That Christ is showing you what he can do. He's showing you his glory. And this is how you grow in him. That that's a good thing. And although it's not, oftentimes not something that's easy for you to recognize. or when, Especially when you're going through it. But when you look back on it, you can say, well, I can now see what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to shape me, to form me into something better, into being closer to him. Because Bruce is going to face much harder things in his missionary journey that he doesn't even know he's going on yet, where he will be able to think back to those times and say, well, Jesus helped me there. I did this before. Well, maybe I should try that. And... 
he's going to do some really amazing things. One of the most compelling missionaries out there. So hopefully you guys enjoy the book as you continue reading it. Uh, read, just read at least the next three chapters, okay? Like after chapter three? Yep, so four, five, six. All right, mm -hmm. thank you.